Hi, this is Ian Wolfe, producer, host and writer for Diffusion Science Radio. I need your support. You can support Diffusion by downloading a free Audible audiobook from audibletrial.com science. Just for getting you to try them out, Audible will pay me a small reward. Or you could click on an Amazon link on diffusionradio.com and Amazon will kick a few percent of what you pay them my way. Please, make a donation directly with the PayPal button on www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition... Kidneys, hearts, and coal. But first up, here's the news. Heavy fat for slow aging. Mikhail Shepinov, director of Retrotope, a biotech company based in Los Altos, California, is making polyunsaturated fats using hydrogen with an extra neutron to help cells resist the effects of oxidation. Oxidation is one of the causes of aging and also a mechanism in some diseases. By treating the inherited movement disorder Friedrich's ataxia, which has a mechanism of damage caused by oxidation that's similar to aging, Shepinov hopes to be able to protect adults against oxidation that happens in aging. Oxidation is caused by oxygen-free radical molecules which are produced as a waste product from cell metabolism. The free radicals have unpaired electrons that want a partner electron, so they strip electrons from other molecules inside our cells to balance their charge. These molecules then steal electrons from surrounding molecules, causing a wave of damage in fats, proteins and DNA that propagates across the cell. Regular hydrogen has one proton orbited by one electron. Deuterium, also known as heavy hydrogen, has a neutron in its nucleus as well. Adding heavy hydrogen to polyunsaturated fats will let cells make stronger chemical bonds than they can make with regular polyunsaturated fats, allowing them to resist oxidation and the damage it causes. Shepinov has produced a heavy hydrogen form of the omega-6 polyunsaturated fat that can be taken in a capsule. People taking the capsule need to be on a diet with no other polyunsaturated fats so that their cells only take up the heavy fat. Friedrich's ataxia is caused by free radical damage to the nerves responsible for movement and usually means people are wheelchair-bound within 10 to 20 years of symptoms appearing. By replacing cellular fatty acids with stronger ones, there's a chance of rescuing nerves that are sick but not yet dead. The first clinical trials to see whether heavy fat is safe for people suffering Friedrich's ataxia start in June 2015. The next step will be a larger clinical trial to test if the treatment works. Previous studies have shown that the treatment works to protect yeast from free radical damage, and it has protected mice from the worst effects of Parkinson's disease, which also has a mechanism of free radical damage. 
Alzheimer's disease also involves damage from free radicals that might be helped by heavy fat therapy. Polyunsaturated fatty acids are also used to produce a huge array of fatty acid-derived hormones that mediate pain, inflammation and blood clotting. Cancer is often triggered by free radical damage. Of course, if we were to make the heavy fats using tritium, a heavy hydrogen that has two neutrons instead of just the one in deuterium, then we could all glow in the dark as we stay healthier for longer. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And now the next in our series of FameLab New South Wales Talks. FameLab is a competition for public communication of science by early career researchers run every year by the British Council. The British Council is an international organisation promoting education in the arts and sciences. The judges for the New South Wales State Heat of the Competition were Helen O'Neill, the Country Director of the British Council Australia, Dr Angela Crean from the University of New South Wales School of Biological, Earth and Environmental Sciences, where she studies non-genetic inheritance, parental effects, sperm quality and plasticity. And Rose Hiscock. She's Director of the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. They judged on the values of good science, persuasive communication and style. The host of the night was the surfing scientist and star of ABC TV's Catalyst, Ruben Meerman. And our first speaker is from the University of Queensland up in lovely Brisbane. It's Miss Megan Rossi and she's going to speak to us about a gut feeling about kidney disease. So would you please make a very, very welcome, Megan Rossi. When I started working as a renal dietitian, do you know what the number one patient symptom complaint was? Temperamental bouts. Now, initially I put this down as just another side effect of the dietary restrictions, together with the medication load, and felt there was little I could do to help. But as the complaints kept coming, I started to get a gut feeling that perhaps there was something more to this. And sure enough, my gut was right. And this organ is now the focus of my research in kidney disease. Yep, that's right, treating kidney disease by targeting not the kidney, but the gut. Now, I know that sounds a little odd, yet everyone here tonight currently has trillions of bacteria living in their gut. Fortunately, in the healthy population, the majority of these are mutualists, so they work with us chiefly to help fight off infection and metabolise our food. However, in kidney disease, there's a greater population of the bad bacteria in the gut, which produce toxins that enter the blood circulation and are known to further harm both the kidney and the heart. To tackle this issue, I've recently undertaken a randomised clinical trial with 40 of my kidney disease patients. On a daily basis for six weeks, the intervention involves sending into the gut an army of good bacteria, known as probiotics, together with a lunchbox of bacteria-specific food, known as prebiotics, to help fight off those bad bacteria. And, sure enough, the therapy worked. 
Compared to placebo, the pre and probiotics were able to inhibit the production of those harmful toxins, resulting in a significant decrease in their blood concentration. Further, none of the patients reported any adverse side effects, nor did it impact on their quality of life, unlike many other drug therapies currently available. Now, it is only early days where larger and longer studies are needed. But my PhD has shown that pre and probiotics are a low-cost native therapy, able to inhibit the production of harmful toxins in kidney disease. Hence, this therapy holds potential for not only delaying kidney disease progression, but alleviating some of that heightened heart disease risk. With one in 10 adults currently living with some level of kidney dysfunction, and with the increasing demand for end-stage treatment known as dialysis, which costs the government more than $1 billion annually, the impact of this finding is far-reaching and has already attracted an international audience. And who would have thought? All this from just a gut feeling. Tell us more about how you're measuring the patients. What's your relationship with these 40 people in your experiment? So I um, actually am a dietitian, as I was saying. So I was also, it was part of my PhD, but I was the dietitian. So we looked at their diet initially and made sure their diet was kept stable. So I think through the clinical trial, my role was really as a clinical dietitian, just to check their diet was stable. Uh, and then we administered the supplements. Um, to the patients and we measured things, the toxins were measured in their blood and we also did another, uh, a number of other measurements like their quality of life through surveys, their um, bowel function and we also collected faecal samples. So with the patients there was a number of different outcomes which we did measure. Yeah, we're starting to hear about these probiotics as like a miracle cure for everything but you don't usually think of the bowels has been, it's, it's more urine with kidneys. So why do you think the bacteria are targeting the kidneys? So it's not the bacteria as such. That's something that often people do um, get a little bit confused about. It's that in our gut, we've got the trillions of bacteria living there and they metabolize certain foods that we malabsorb, such as um, protein that we don't digest properly. So it gets into our large bowel where all those bacteria are and the bacteria ferment that protein that's been malabsorbed. And one of the waste products of that um, protein fermentation in the large bowel is these two toxins, which we've really been focused on. So then the toxins enter from our intestine, get over into our blood system. And that's where they circulate through the heart. So the cardiovascular system is a technical way to um, talk about the heart system as well as further harming the kidneys. Thank you very much. Round of applause, please. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Our next speaker is from the Australian National University, Ms. Rena Soatanto, and she's going to uh, speak to us about how you mend a broken heart. It's a big role for small RNAs. Please welcome Rena. By the time I finish this three-minute presentation, about 90 people around the world will have died from heart disease. Those could be some strangers you don't know, in which case it's just another stat statistic, but 
What if it is your neighbor or your friend or your favorite uncle? In fact, take a look at the two people sitting on either sides of you. One out of the three of you will die from heart disease, although hopefully not in the next three minutes. This is a problem that is costing Australia, that is your hard-earned tax money, $14 billion a year. Most of the currently available drugs treat only the symptoms of heart disease. However, one class of future therapy called microRNA therapy may just solve the crux of the problem. MicroRNAs are these tiny little regulatory molecules in your cells. Let's imagine that the cell is a restaurant. Your DNA is like the big recipe book for all of your amazing food. The food are like the messenger RNAs. Now, the microRNAs are like the waitresses that can regulate how much food or messenger RNAs needs to be served. But then perhaps due to financial struggles, the restaurant decides to fire all of these amazing waitresses and instead employ all these incompetent people that are just wrong for the job. Has anyone been to a restaurant where all the waitresses are just completely hopeless? You wait and you wait and you wait, but you will never get that succulent chicken burger you've been craving for all day, and you over there somehow ended up with like five massive bowls of seafood pasta that you didn't even order. And oh, you're allergic to seafood. Help, everything is just a complete chaos. That is the mayhem that your heart cells are in when the microRNAs are deregulated. It has been shown in mice that simply changing just one single microRNA can prevent and even reverse heart disease. However, at this very new era of microRNA therapy, we just don't know enough about microRNA regulation in the heart. So my project aims to better understand specifically which microRNA and messenger RNAs are present during heart disease and how they're interacting with each other. To do this, we induced heart disease in mice, and then we looked at the sequences of the RNAs taken from the heart. We found that not only are the microRNAs very diverse in the heart, but the messenger RNAs are also changing during heart disease. Going back to the restaurant, this is as if the chef decided to put grilled chicken instead of fried chicken in those chicken burgers. And so the microRNA waitresses thinks it's a mistake and just throws it out. That, Ruben, is possibly why you never got that succulent chicken burger you've been craving for. In much the same way, the cell no longer gets that really vital messenger RNA that it desperately needs to survive. This research may contribute to the development of a more specific and efficient microRNA therapy. So hopefully in the future, when you look to the two people sitting on either sides of you, you won't have to wonder whether you will be the one of the three to die from heart disease. Thank you. Oh, great, yeah, thanks. I guess my question is a bit of a chicken and egg question. How do you know if the microRNAs are causing the heart disease or if the heart disease is changing the microRNAs? It's actually a bit of both, but the causal mechanism was done by a genetic experiment where you knock down a particular microRNA, and researchers have found that when you knock down that one, just one microRNA, you actually cause heart disease in a normal mouse. So that's how we made that causal connection to it. Uh, just could you talk a little bit more about your trial itself with the mice? Um, sure. Over what period of time? Yeah. Um, just, just talk us through that yeah. process. So you mean like how I induce the heart disease yeah. and stuff? But before I get into that, I just want to make it clear to any animal activists out there that we did have all the ethical improvements for this and sure. we tried to make yeah. it as nice as possible. 
So what we do is actually we uh, do this thing called the tuck bending, which essentially what you do is you open up the mouse, and then you tie up a little um, loop around its aorta, which is the main artery going out of this heart. Basically what that does is mimics um, your blood vessels when you get fat buildup. So you know when you get a fat buildup, then your arteries clog up, and it makes it harder for blood to go through it, and your heart has to work harder to get over that. And over time, that causes heart disease. So that's what we've done to the mice when we tie up the loop. And then after that, we let the mouse run around for two days or seven days. And then at the end of those days, we euthanize the mice, and then we um, take out the heart, we um, extracted the RNAs from the heart, and then we sequence that, and then we looked at the differences in the microRNA and the messenger RNA sequences between a normal mouse and a sick mouse. Great, thank you. I, just one very quick one. You're working in a lab on this, this problem. How does your research fit into everyone else working around you? Um, well, actually, my lab is actually more of an RNA-focused lab. Um, I'm currently focusing on the heart disease, and there are some people looking at the cancer side, and there are some people looking at just pure um, biology where they don't really care what cell they do, they just look at microRNA and um, messenger RNA interactions. So is that the question you're asking? Yeah, is this a, is it, look, I'm scared of heart disease, but I don't know much about it, perhaps, perhaps because I'm scared. But is this a hot spot in investigation? It is. At the moment, heart disease is the number one cause of death. I mean, I, yeah, so there's a lot of research going into that. Thank you very much, Rena. Another round of Thank you, Rena. Thank you, Ruben Meerman, for FameLab. That was Megan Rossi with Gut Feeling About Kidney Disease from the University of Queensland. And Rena Soatato from the Australian National University, How You Mend a Broken Heart, a big role for small RNAs. With the release of the Tesla Powerwall, photovoltaic solar farms can now provide power 24-7. The coal industry is in trouble. Everybody wants to stop using it as soon as possible. Here's a story about coal I broadcast back in 2007 that seems very relevant today. Coal is too valuable to burn. The method the mining industry used to get rich is dig stuff up, burn it, and dump the waste out the back and forget about it. Forgetting about the waste has caused global warming. It's caused coal to be artificially priced so it's seen as cheap enough to burn. In reality, it's a valuable feedstock for the chemical industry that has a non-renewable supply. There are synthetic dyes, synthetic rubber, synthetic medicines, synthetic pesticides, not to mention thousands of different plastics, all made from coal. Out of air, water and coal, we produce a fertilizer for which Americans formerly had to travel thousands of miles. In coal, we have found the colors of the rainbow and the perfumes of nature's sweetest flowers. Coal has been a cheap source of electricity because the cost of the pollution generated in mining it and burning it have been externalised. Externalisation is a word from the language of economics, the dismal science. Externalising a cost means that it's not factored into the cost of production and therefore not included in the price of the commodity. When your profit is solely because you've externalised your costs, then your commodity is not really profitable. Everyone now admits that the carbon dioxide in the air pollution from burning coal is causing global warming that leads to hurricanes, floods and droughts. The sulfuric acid causes soil to become acidic, which kills crops and trees. Acid leaching from coal into rivers and lakes kills fish. Acid sprayed into the air from burning coal burns us with acid rain. 
The soot blown into the air from burning coal blackens our lungs, clogs up our hearts, and strokes our brains. The bad news for the mining companies is that we can no longer afford to allow the cost of pollution to be subsidised this way. Coal will have to be mined in a way that doesn't allow sulfuric acid into the water and soil, and it must only be consumed in a way that doesn't generate carbon dioxide, soot, and more sulfuric acid. Chemistry is creating new and more comfortable homes, giving you finer and yet vastly cheaper motor cars, better clothes, purer food, and sounder health. Unfortunately, the clean coal technology, pushed by the Australian and American governments, is fake. They're basing their whole rescue plan for global warming on a technology that will take the carbon dioxide pollution and store it in a barrel at the back, or underground, where it will inevitably bubble back up to the surface after it's forgotten. It's called carbon sequestration. This does nothing to stop soot or acid, and so far, nobody has demonstrated that it can work. Fortunately, solar power generating technology has advanced to the point where solar power is now as cheap as coal-fired power plants have been. With solar power, there are no fuel costs, ever. Solar systems are building the world's biggest photovoltaic solar power plant in Australia's northwest Victoria. The pilot plant generates 154 megawatts of power and costs $420 million to build. It will power 45,000 homes. The power plant covers six hectares. Mirrors aim sunlight onto panels that convert the light directly into electricity. The light will be concentrated 500 times by magnifying mirrors. These solar cells convert 35% of the light into power, and they're able to withstand temperatures that would melt steel. The Hazelwood Brown coal-fired power station generates 1,600 megawatts to provide a quarter of Victoria's baseload energy. To replace it with a new coal power station will cost $4.8 billion. By comparison, 10 of the photovoltaic solar power plants would generate the same power for $4.2 billion. The coal-fired power plant has the disadvantage of needing $600 million of coal fuel every year. That's $4.8 billion for coal versus $4.2 billion for solar if you don't count the costs of pollution and fuel. Those who prefer to dig stuff up, burn it and sling the waste out the back justly complain that photovoltaic solar power stations don't generate power at night. When the sun is down, how could solar power plants light up the night? The solution is a solar thermal power plant. When you concentrate the sun to make really hot stuff, it stays hot overnight and keeps generating power all the way to sunrise. The plan is for the tower to store excess heat in water tubing under the tower and use it to heat the air overnight. Solar thermal power plants operate by using the heat from sunlight. In the solar tower, heated air blows in an updraft, the top of a giant chimney-like tower to spin a turbine. The turbine generates electricity using the familiar conductors moving past magnets used in coal-fired power plants. Enviromission is building a solar thermal tower not far away from the photovoltaic power plant, but on the New South Wales side of the border. The pilot project will generate 200 megawatts for a similar cost. Solar Heat and Power are working on a project to add sun power to the coal-fired Liddell power station in New South Wales. They use Fresnel reflectors to focus the sun to heat water into steam, which is then directed through the old power station to supplement the steam generated by heating water with coal. By cleverly using flat, cheap, compact Fresnel reflectors instead of curved glass parabolic mirrors, they've reduced the biggest cost in a solar power plant. 
You might be familiar with Fresnel lenses from children's pocket magnifying glasses. Instead of a curved lens, you have a flat plastic surface with lines pressed into it. The lines bend the light through diffraction to magnify the light instead of refracting it through a big round glass lens. In the same way, the Fresnel reflectors used in the Liddell power plant use flat flexible plastic with lines pressed into the surface that diffract the light to concentrate it. Instead of using curved parabolic mirrors made of metal and glass, the flat plastic is much cheaper and easier to manoeuvre. At present, the power station is a hybrid, with solar steam adding a small amount of power to the power generated by coal. The solar power generated is about to go up from 7 megawatts to 38 megawatts. The coal generates 2,000 megawatts. Like the solar tower, Liddell Station stores excess heat underground for making steam to turn the turbines at night. Solar heat and power will be increasing the percentage of power that comes from the sun as funds become available. Eventually, it could be 100%. This means that other coal-fired power plants around the world could be retrofitted with solar collectors. The Greens are campaigning to replace all the coal-fired power plants with solar power plants in Australia. That's not a bad idea. The plan to phase out the coal industry in Australia altogether. The Greens are wrong about this, and here's why. This part of their plan has upset the mining industry and their friends in the government and put them against all solar power. They rightly point out that their private wealth from digging up coal, burning it and slinging the waste out the back contributes to the economy. They also employ miners. They're wrong that this is the only way for them to stay rich, and they're wrong that the miners won't be able to find safer jobs doing something else. However, as long as they don't burn coal, and they develop a non-polluting way of mining it, there's no reason for them to stop digging it up as a feedstock for industry. From cotton, sour milk, formaldehyde and carbolic acid all scrambled together in the laboratory, come noiseless gears, costume jewellery, fountain pens, billiard balls, telephone parts, and many other plastics of beauty and utility. There's hundreds of things that can be made from coal, from plastics and dyes, to clothing, optic fibres, face cream for the ladies, special tasteless waxes for certain kinds of candies, wax for sealing letters, soap, fertilizers for the farmers, coke, ink, Streets and highways. We have discovered how to manufacture rubber from coal, limestone, salt, and water. Vinegar from coke and limestone. Coal also fits nicely in Christmas stockings. Coal is a limited resource that will run out, so whoever has a monopoly will be able to make a fortune. The Latin's lamp, which can produce an endless variety of valuable products. When it runs out, we'll have to synthesise these things from organic waste, such as sewage and farm waste. If we tried to grow them on plantations, we'd run the risk of mowing down rainforests in the third world. This has started to happen from the initiative to replace burning oil products in cars and throwing the waste out the back, with burning ethanol in cars and throwing the waste out the back. Burning coal is like burning $100 bills. There'll be room for a coal industry for as long as the coal lasts, and they're willing to dig it up in a safe way. So the mining companies can breathe easy, and so can the rest of us. And yummy coal-derived food served on a coal-extracted plate. There you go. I saved the coal industry. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on Diffusion? Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. 
You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including True Triple H in Hornsby, Karingai, 2NVR in Nambaka Valley, 2XX in Canberra, and 3MBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science 360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for videos and links and photos from this week's show. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. And to take us out, here's Leave It in the Ground by Almost Lazy and Master Wolf. Supported by former Premier of Queensland, Campbell Newman. Um, that idea, rather than digging huge piles of black stuff out of the ground a few hundred kilometres north of here to keep those lights on, um, perhaps it'd be better in the long term for our children, our grandchildren and the generations to come that we actually set things up a bit differently. Don't be confused, mate. Why do politicians do favours? Why the ones who own the mines own the newspapers? Huh? Why the politicians do favours? Why the ones who own the mines own the newspapers? Huh? Why the politicians do favours? Why the ones who own the mines own the newspapers? Gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground. Change your ways, stop the cold craze. Gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground. Change your ways, stop the cold craze. Gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground, change your ways, stop the cold craze, gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground. We gotta keep it in the ground. Jason on the track, yeah, Master Wolf on the rack. See these coal miners behaving like tyrants, laying waste to endanger their sacred environments. With the green lights from governments, they made an alliance, ignoring research and evidence. Claimed by the scientists about changing the climate, we on the verge of extinction. Back scratching tactics serves the blurred distinction between political policy and business interests. What world we leaving for our kids to witness? Cleaner alternatives already be abundant, but society structured in a way that's heavily encumbered by reliance on fossil fuels, so they subsidize it while the coal Dust is flying across the whole horizon It's not at all surprising people die Why they try to keep alive an industry That needs to be tried Of ecocide, their partners in crime Passing laws that's designed to take away the people's rights To unify and decide Rather than digging huge piles of black stuff out of the ground Better in the long term for our children, our grandchildren And the generations to come That we actually set things up a bit differently Don't be confused, mate. Why the politicians do favours? Why the ones who own the mines own the newspapers? Uh, why the politicians do favours? Why the ones who own the mines own the newspapers? Uh, 
Why the politicians do favours? Why the ones who undermine the newspapers? Why the politicians do favours? Why the ones who own the mines own the newspapers? Gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground. Change your ways, stop the cold craze. Gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground. Change your ways, stop the cold craze. Gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground. Change your ways, stop the cold craze. Gotta leave it in the ground. Leave it in the ground, change your ways, stop the cold craze. We will break your business model, uh huh. We will break your business model. That's right. We will break your business model. You know it. We will break your business model. You can't. We will break your business model. It's gonna happen. We will break your business model. Feel it? We will break your business model. Our love will break your business model.